Father God, I pray that you would speak to us, and particularly, Lord, this morning, I pray that the words of that song, which wonderfully were the song I chose for my baptism 20 years ago, but the words of that song would be words that we find ourselves singing right the way through our days. They are enduring in our lives as we recognize all that we once held dear and built our life upon. We have given up and surrendered for Jesus Help us not to reverse those two things. That's what we want to learn this morning. Help us avoid the moment in our future where we may say these things are more precious than Jesus. That is what we need your help to understand this morning and prepare ourselves to avoid. And so I pray for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. Please find a Bible again if you've got one, if you'd like one. Uh, Really helpful to have one with you. If you don't have a Bible at home, which not all of us do, of course, then do pick up one of these turquoise ones from the back as you leave, and uh, that's yours to take home and have and to enjoy. Uh, Open up to Hebrews chapter 10 again, 1208, page 1208. That's the passage we're going to look at, 26 to 31. Um, Warnings all over the place, aren't they? It's obviously a warning that we've got in front of us this morning, and warnings are all over the place. Uh, Some of the warnings we sort of ignore a little bit. I don't know about you, but every time I open up a new website uh, on my browser, I have that little tag that comes up about, do I accept these cookies? Have you had that one yet? Now, I always want to say yes to cookies, so I just click, I just click yes, but I never really read the warning that's there. We have warnings in life like that, don't we, which functionally don't really mean anything. We then have warnings which uh, instinctively we obey, and they keep our life on track. So those of us who drive and have driven for a number of years know that almost instinctively we obey the rules of the road, we obey the warning signs that appear in front of us. It's almost unconscious, isn't it? Hopefully not literally, but it's almost just an instinct response to warnings that are around, and they keep our life on track, don't we? And then every now and again we see a warning that just pulls us up short, that for whatever reason just shocks us. it's, It's so significant or it's so unexpected that it just stands out and really takes us back, really makes us think and wonder. I had one of those yesterday. I took our elder two boys up to Stafford Castle for the Shakespeare performance, Macbeth, that is going on. And they absolutely loved it. I I totally recommend it. They thought it was brilliant. They particularly liked the severed head that closes the the second act uh, that looked very, very realistic with its blood pumping out of its neck. They absolutely loved it, high-cultured children that they are. But as we first pulled up to the Stafford Castle, obviously there are, I guess, about, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred people a day turning up to watch this. Many don't live in Stafford. So Stafford Castle is covered with new signs uh, on the paths up from the car park. And they say something along the lines of, Stafford Borough Council has taken every measure to make sure these paths are safe. However, we accept no responsibility for damage or death. Or death! I'm like, what's going on there? A kind of warning that really made me go, where did that come from? What what does that mean? And I'll be honest, generated a long discussion with the boys about how you could actually die walking to Stafford Castle. Was that even possible? now, this, this is a kind of warning like that. It's a kind of warning that hopefully comes a bit unexpected, just makes us step back a little bit and go, actually, its tone and its severity make us really pause and think. As I said when I prayed, especially when we realize and are confident, which I hope that you are or are learning to be, that God is a loving father. He's a loving father. 
And no loving father cries wolf. Or in Jesus' language, no loving father, even earthly father, when their child asks for a nice egg as a snack, gives them a scorpion. No, our heavenly father is a loving father. And he gives us what we need in the way that we need it. So I hope this morning you'll be engaged and responsive and pondering and reflective on what is a reasonably difficult passage. Not necessarily to understand, I hope I can help you with that, but to absorb and to put into practice. The passage itself basically breaks into two. Twice he addresses us collectively as we. First of all, at the beginning in sentence 26, if we... If we deliberately keep on doing something. So if we do this, that's the first section, runs all the way uh, to sentence 29. And then the second section there, at the beginning of verse 30, for we know. Do you see that there? If we, something about us, but for we know, something about what what we know. The first bit then, sentence 25 to 29, is the choice we could all make. The if we deliberately Keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Notice here he's talking to those of us who would call ourselves Christians. So this morning, if you're here this morning and trust, trust is not the word you'd use to describe your relationship with Jesus. In a sense, he's not talking to you, therefore. He's talking to those of us who actually have consciously, deliberately chosen to follow Jesus. We have in a rational and emotionally engaged way, said Jesus is my way, he's my truth, and he's my life, and I'm going to follow him. And he says, if you, if, if we, who fall into that category, if we then intentionally, deliberately, consciously rebel again against Jesus, that's what that word sinning means, rebel against what we know to be true. Now, it's worth noting that if we, at the beginning of 26, that little phrase, if we, or in fact just the word we, is a a word deliberately chosen by the author, a little bit more unusual, which includes himself. He's not standing there looking out and saying you, or he's not even saying we in that kind of poetic way where you know actually the person means you guys, not me, the, the kind of royal we, if you like. But no, he's saying this really could be any of us. This really could be any single one of us could fall into this trap. This could happen to any of us at some point in our future. There's a lesson here, actually, about how we read the Bible, just pulling into a lay-by for a moment, which is true for every part of the Bible, especially true for places like this. I think most of us have a default to read the Bible like it is a window, Particularly parts of the Bible we don't want to describe us. We read them like a window in which we can point our finger at others through. Eh, Look at them. This is talking about them. In fact, we're meant to read the Bible like a mirror. Particularly bits like this, where actually we see ourselves reflected back. We're meant to learn about ourselves from the Bible. So here, it's the choice we all could make. This choice that having been confident and received and known the knowledge of Jesus, that we could deliberately and intentionally turn our back on that. Not simply in laziness or complacency, but in pro, proactive mockery of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the outcome of that here, God says, is twofold. Is twofold. Neither is that surprising, but they're pretty stark. 
First, the very end of sentence 26, there is now no forgiveness available for you. Look at the end of verse 26. No sacrifice for sins is left. What he means is, having just talked about Jesus' death as a sacrifice that brings us total forgiveness, he says, actually, if you're turning around and saying, I don't want it, I'm not interested in it, I think it's farcical, then God says, I will honour that choice you're making, and therefore the benefit of that sacrifice of Jesus is no longer yours. There is no forgiveness, no sacrifice for sins, not for your sins anymore. And secondly, sentences 27 to 29, there is no forgiveness, but secondly, there is only fear and fury. Only fear and fury. Look at 27. But only, all that's left now is not forgiveness, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's an ancient law that they well knew, that if you rejected Moses' rules and two or three others could, could testify you really had done that, the penalty was death. How much more severely, sentence 29, do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy the thing as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the spirit of grace. I mean, one, we don't understand that language properly, but two, we understand it entirely, don't we? You know what I mean by that? We read it, we say, I don't know what covenant means and spirit of grace, I don't know, but you go, I know what this means. It's mocking Jesus, pushing away from Jesus, being embarrassed about Jesus, making it abundantly clear, Jesus is not my friend anymore. Now, friends, we're not talking about those moments in life which we all have where following Jesus is difficult. We're not talking about those periods in life which can be weeks, months, even years long when we're holding on by the skin of our fingertips and not even that. We're not talking about when it's just difficult to see where he is. We're talking about the conscious ongoing, deliberate trampling of the truth you know about Jesus. And God says, if that is the choice you make, that is a choice to make you my enemy again. And therefore, forgiveness is not yours, and fear and fury are. And he's saying it could be any of us. He's not saying it is some of us, he's saying it could be any of us who might do that. And our loving Father wants us to be aware of that. Now let's pause a moment and get our wits around us because I want to ask a very practical question. And this will help also help you to understand it, but much more importantly, help you avoid it and help me avoid it. The question is, what could lead me to make this choice? What could lead me or you or any of us to move from saying, I love Jesus, I delight in him, all I hold dear, I surrender to him, to suddenly being at a point where we're trampling on all of that in kind of disgust and embarrassment. Now, some of us actually could answer this question very well. We've lived it, we're even living it now. Others of us, it seems an impossibility that could ever be us. Doesn't it? Let me throw out a couple of things that just from my experience, I've found can lead people to this position. I wonder if any of these resonate with you. And also, 
like Gareth Southgate knows this, doesn't he, that the best form of defence is understanding the attack that's coming towards you. So actually understanding what could make us make this choice is the beginning of avoiding it happening. Let me run through a few and see if they resonate with you at all. The first thing that can cause us to do this, to trample the Son of God, to turn our back deliberately on him, is cultural conflict. Is where something that culture or society at this point teaches, which is in direct conflict to what the Bible teaches, and we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. That there's no space to be undecided on that issue anymore. And because we don't want to face the, the, the mockery, the rigmarole, whatever it might be, of what culture will say, we go with culture. The only way to persuade culture we really agree is to clearly disagree with Jesus. The only way to, to persuade culture that you really agree with that cultural position or that societal truth is if you consciously reject Jesus. And so cultural conflict can do this. The big questions about sexuality, the big questions about do all religions lead to God. Secondly, a second area is personal cost. Is when Jesus begins to call you to do something and you calculate the personal cost as too great. Then you have a choice. You either continue following Jesus disobediently and live with the guilt, which is very uncomfortable, or you deny Jesus has any authority on your life anyway. Do you see? Which is way more comfortable a place to live. So when the personal cost of what Jesus is calling you to, you don't want to bear that personal cost. You either have the choice of being a disobedient follower of Jesus, which is just a very awkward situation to be in and very uncomfortable, or you deny Jesus has any authority in your life anyway so you can get rid of the guilt. Personal cost of what Jesus is calling you to do. Third, very similar, is personal comfort. Personal comfort. That is calling you to a less comfortable kind of position, a less comfortable financial package, a less comfortable um, relationship. And you say, actually, I want to hold my comfort. I want to keep my comfort. The only way to keep my comfort is to deny Jesus has any authority over me. So I don't have to be guilty while I make it. And additionally, finally, there's one other one I think is very significant is when we do something really, really sinful in the old language. When, for whatever reason, we break one of God's rules and laws in spectacular fashion, and the way back seems longer than just the way forward. And so we just carry on in that sin. And so we deny who Jesus is because we just think the way back is too far. Adultery. Theft, criminal record. And we just think, actually, the way back from here is so far, oh, I can't, it's too much, we'll just, I'll just carry on this new road. So which one might it be for you? As you think about if this, what God is saying here is true, that this is a choice all of us could make, we could all at some point find ourselves deliberately denying Jesus. Now, let me be clear. God's love for us doesn't change. But our love for God can change. God's commitment to us does not change, but our commitment to him can change. Where it was yesterday does not necessarily mean that's where it will be tomorrow, does it? 
So there's the first part of the passage, the first point. If we, the choice we all could make. Now there's a little bit of hope, the second part. Have a look in your Bibles with me, would you? This is from sentence 30 to 31. For we know. For we know. This is about the God we should all know, isn't it? For we know. Let me read it to us and then I'll unpack it. Because actually what it means is perhaps not how we'll initially read it. This is what it says. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For we know this God, and we've talked about this God who is judge, who is true to his word, who actually will treat his enemies as they rightly deserve. But actually, the the quotes in sentence 30, have a close look, and they should be in speech marks, two quotes. The quotes in sentence 30 mean more than they seem. See, remember, he's writing to Jewish people. And as boys and girls, those Jewish people would have learnt big parts of the Old Testament off by heart. They knew their old part of the Bible incredibly well. And so when a quote like this is given, they know not to just read the few words of the quote, but they're to understand it in the context of where it is found, the whole flow of that paragraph. Now, these are taken from a place called Deuteronomy and from a place called Psalms. Let's just go to the Deuteronomy one. So if you've got a Bible there, would you turn back with me? You'll need to go quite a long way back in your Bibles to page 212, page 212 in Deuteronomy. Or find it in your phone. So we can understand exactly what is being talked about here. What is the God that we should know? Yes, he is an avenger and he's judge, but he's also compassionate and kind. That's what these quotes are there for. Deuteronomy chapter 32, page 212. Do find it. And look at sentence 35 and 36. That's the left-hand column about halfway down of page 212. Sentence 35, it's the direct quote. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. That's what he's quoted. What comes next? In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. He's talking about a nation called Israel who have done exactly what Hebrews talked about. They knew God and they've turned away from God. But now look what's come. Sentence 36. Look at sentence 36. The Lord will still vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free, the Lord will vindicate still. The Lord will still relent. See, the God that we all need to know is a God who still makes a way back. A God who still finds a way to vindicate even the one who tramples the blood of Jesus in that dramatic language. Even the one who's consciously turned away from Jesus, having received the truth, then decides to mock Jesus and get away from Jesus, God has still found a way to relent, to vindicate. That word vindicate literally means to acquit or clear or absolve or exonerate or to declare innocent. And the context of Hebrews tells us that is what Jesus did. That his amazing death on the cross is a substitute for all rebellion and all sin. Even, even of the Christian who turns their back on Jesus. That if they come to their senses and if they turn back, God will still relent. Because Jesus has still taken the punishment for that sin. 
what's called here the raging fire or the severe punishment in Hebrews is poured onto Jesus, even for the one who turns away. So the warning is the if we, if we. But the hope is for we know who God is. Yes, he is the judge. Yes, he punishes sin. But he's also the one that has placed it all on Jesus. And that is the God we need to know now so that when that day is our day, if it ever is, we know that that God will welcome us home as we come to our senses, as we return. What I'd like to do as we come into land is just change the angle ever so slightly and put what has been a quite propositional statement of something, as I've just taught this passage, put it into a story, if I may. Exactly the same truth, into a story. It's a story Jesus actually told in Luke 15. It's the exact same truth that's in this passage. A truth about how we all might turn away from God, but actually through God's eldest son, Jesus, there is a way home. This is how the story goes. Many of us will know it. It's called the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means outrageous or outlandish or excessively extravagant. That's what the word prodigal means. And there is a son who is outrageous in the story, but there's also a father who is outrageous and outlandish in the story. The story Jesus tells goes like this. He says there was a good, good father who loved his children and managed his home extraordinarily well. And then one of his children, his youngest son, came to his father and said, Father, I wish you were dead. I so don't love you that I wish you were dead and entirely out of my life so I could have the inheritance. I don't want you as the giver. I want the gift that you might give me. I want you dead. Give me my inheritance. That's the choice all of us could make. The father says, here's your inheritance. The son goes off and we're told squanders the money on wild living. Later on, his brothers postulate he spent it all on prostitutes. And then he finds himself squabbling with pigs, homeless and destitute, trying to eat the pig's food before they get there. And in that moment, it says he comes to his senses. It comes to his senses. And in his mind, he goes, my father will never welcome me back as a child, but he might welcome me back as a slave and a servant, so I'm going to return and see if I can get a job with my father. And as he begins to return, his father sees him on his horizon. And if you know the story, what does the father do? Does the father act like a master or like a daddy? Like a daddy. He hikes up his long skirts. They wore these kind of kilt things in those days and age. Hikes up his long skirts so he doesn't go tit over tail when he's running. And he goes charging off and embraces that returning son. And says, here's a ring on your finger so everyone knows that you are my son, the signet ring, that you are my child still. Here's the best cloak that we keep for the royal visitors. It's yours, my son, because I love you so much. And we're going to slaughter the prime Angus beef and stick it on the barbecue to show, throw a huge celebration because this son of mine who was lost has come home. That's what God is like. But there's more to the story. There is an older son in the story. And for the younger son to be able to be embraced and welcomed home, the older son in the story is rejected. The older son is excluded from the family, so the younger son can come home. 
The older son is Jesus, the younger son is us, the great substitute is he steps out so we can step in, even when we have behaved to God to say, I wish you were dead, God. I wish I had nothing to do with you. I wish you were totally absent from this world. I once knew you. I turned my back on you. I wish you were dead. But Jesus, the older son, will still step out of the family so there's a place for us to step in, the great substitute. As we finish, I want you to ponder about two things. We're going to have a moment's quiet before Jeff leads us in a last song. The first thing I want you to ponder is, who is the God that you know? Is it, are you fully persuaded at this moment, like the Bible teaches us to be, that he would welcome you home whatever you did, even as you do it, fully knowing who Jesus is? Premeditated, intentional rebellion against Jesus. As a Christian, you need to know that when you do that, or have done that, As you come to your senses, Jesus steps out of the family so you can step back in. Jesus takes all the punishment that younger son deserved and left the family so you could come back in. So number one, is that the God you know? That gracious, that kind, that wonderful? And secondly, a question about how well do you know yourself? Because our loving Father knows us better than we can know ourselves. And our loving Father says, it could be any of us. could be any of us. So how well do you know yourself? What do you need to do to avoid, avoid what this teaches of stepping away? So a reflection about God and a reflection about yourself. Let's take a moment and then I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a final song. Father God, help us to recognize this morning that this really could be any of us, that you do love us too much to cry wolf, you are too wise to make a mistake, and therefore what you're trying to help us to understand here is important for us to understand and and perceive. So help us to do that, to realize any one of us at any point could find ourselves rejecting you and turning away from you, even after we have chosen to follow and trust you. But help us, Father God, to realize what kind of God you actually are, that even as we deserve judgment, and double judgment really, that actually Jesus still is our substitute, and through him you're still able to vindicate, exonerate, and declare us innocent, because Jesus is willing to take all of that upon himself, the separation and the anger, so we don't have to. He stepped out of the family, so we might step back in. I pray for some of us this morning who need to reflect back and understand better our own journey with Jesus, and to celebrate how you have welcomed us back after a period where we have been like that younger son. And I pray all of us would grasp the reality of a God who is always ready, as we turn to him, to run to us and welcome us home, whatever it is that we have done. These are wonderful things, Jesus, and without your Holy Spirit, they will just be things to us, and we want them to be treasures precious and beautiful. So polish them in our sight so they shine and gleam. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing this final song. If you'd like to give to the work of the church financially, there's a little offering. Most of us give 
online, which is much better and easier, but if you would like to give in this way, then please do. Otherwise, just pass the bag uh, by as it comes. Shall we stand and we'll sing with Jeff this final song? Thank <laughs> you.